If you were to imagine a rock that has sat at its spot for as far back in history as you can imagine, or an artifact that is millennia old, and the story behind that, who's touched it, who's used it, who's sat on this rock, who's used this artifact, and he could tell you so much. And then imagine the person who made it. They could tell you so much more about it. C.S. Lewis, to paraphrase him, he once said that people are afraid that when they give themselves fully to God, that they'll lose themselves. But what they'll actually find is when they give themselves fully to God, they find out who they really are. At the core of our being is an inscription of the truth of who God is and what he is like. If we were to go to that place, to the core of our being, we'd find him there. My name's Garrett. And I'm Alec. And join us today as we go Beyond the Veil. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Veil. Uh, super excited to be back and yeah, just talk about the Lord. Um, just to quote, we are not theologians. Uh, we just love talking about the Lord and uh, love diving deep. So Garrett, what do you have for us today? Yeah, so we, we love on this podcast to just take away the veil, to see God fully for what he is, for who he is, and what that means for us moving forward and the juxtaposition that we land on often is going to be this uh, trying to discover God, trying to see him fully. We talked about seeing him rightly and now it's time to really see how can we see him fully. Yeah. And so there's a pathway of discovery that we can go on that will be fruitful and It'll expand our vision of him and even just allow us to begin to realize how much more access we have than we already utilize. And there's another pathway we can go on that's limiting, that puts chains on, that puts restrictions on, that says that if we don't fit within the boundaries of what has been decided, then we won't get our access. And so I want to put us on a path of conversation that says, hey, there's freedom to discover God. Yeah. What what does that look like as far as discovering God and freedom? Yeah, so you can look at a couple of different things. You can look at really particularly the uh pathway of human history. So we can we can look at Adam's life, Abraham's life, Moses' life, kind of a, a course of, of things and go, What were they missing? Hmm. Some of these guys we admire, one of them we kind of struggle with because he forfeited everything in the garden, but yeah. all these guys we admire, we say, like, look at their life, look what God did, but there's usually this element that's missing, like, they don't quite get it, and it's partly because Adam forfeited access to God in the garden, that he actually walked away from it, and so what we see is Adam made a choice to forfeit life because he thought God was withholding from him. And generations down, Abraham uh, doesn't really know the truth of what God really looks like. 
And so as God makes a promise, he tries to fulfill the promise of God on his self-effort because he didn't trust the faithfulness of God. And even look at Moses, and he led his people into a law of condemnation. Yeah. That's what Romans would call it. And it's because they needed a system to get to God. They couldn't even conceptualize the idea of direct relationship. And so the core of discovering our connection to God is if we can really look at the person of Jesus and say, what was he unveiling to us? He's the full image of God. And so, yeah, we're going to be looking at pretty much the new heart. If we can look at the core of our being, what God's designed us to be like, what kind of image he's put on us, which is his image, yeah. we mean to say, this is what he actually looks like. And so the first thing I want to look at is really simply, how do we uncover the truth about who God is? And there's this, this really, really beautiful part in the Gospels, and everybody who reads the Bible and knows it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is basically turning uh, the teachings of the Pharisees on their head. Or some people would say he's actually elevated the teachings to a whole new level. Yeah. You know, they say that, you know, you shouldn't murder people. And Jesus says, well, I tell you the truth. If you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. They say you shouldn't commit adultery. It's like, I will tell you the truth that if you've lusted, you already committed adultery in your heart. And so what he's doing is he's actually saying, that the law describes what you really shouldn't do. Mm. But what you shouldn't do is actually based out of who you are. Like in the image of God, you don't lust. You don't actually want to go take things that aren't yours in the simplest definition of lust because you have an abundance. You don't hate when you're the image of God because he's actually love. And so what he's saying is, the, the law is actually a description of what you wouldn't do or would do based on who you really are. And meanwhile, the Pharisees completely don't get it ever at any point in the gospel. Yeah. They, they still think it's all about what they do, and they don't realize what Paul writes later on, that the law is actually a schoolmaster. It was meant to teach you, to show you the truth about something. And something is what Jesus is alluding to, which is, it's actually a heart thing. Yeah, the law wasn't there to save us. It's there to guide. Exactly. And it, the thing is, it wasn't really even necessary, but it, it became necessary out of the way that the minds worked of the people at the time. And yeah. so um, we, we begin to see that there's this changing of the way we think where, oh my gosh, there's something in my heart. And Paul would write to the Romans that, the law was actually written on the hearts of the Gentiles. Mm. They didn't receive the law, and it was written on their hearts. They knew it. So it's like, why did the Jewish people need a physical law? It's from their own history, man. It's from what they've been trying to figure out throughout their history and, and their pathways and all that. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Gentiles understand there's a law as well, and it's written on their hearts. And so why is it written on your heart? It's written on your heart not because... God wrote a rule book on your heart to follow these rules and do this and do that. When he says the root on his heart, what, it, what he means is you were actually originally made in the image of God. You were made to look like him. And so these things, this morality, this uh, absolute morality that people allude to that should point people to God, what it's actually pointing to is you were made in the image of God. This is what he looks like. 
that thing about justice you feel, that's what he's about. That thing about love that you feel, that's what he's about. And so, yeah, that's, that's really how we begin to undercover the truth about God is to go, what does he put in me? Yeah, and I mean, you know, Israelites were slaves for 400 years, so it's like, you can, it's so easy to see, I think, how they just completely lost that image of who God was um, from Adam to Abraham to Moses. And it's like, throughout that time, that's even why they sent Moses to the mountain in the first place, because they were afraid of who God was or what God was going to be like. They had no concept of who he was. And so, um, yeah, I think it's really good to like understand the purpose of the law and go deeper into that, that um, the law was never meant to be like our saving grace, but it was there to like guide us. Yeah. Um, and especially like, you know, the Israelites, as they were coming out of a time of 400 years of slavery. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of begin to work that backwards and go, all right, there was this necessity of a guardian or a schoolmaster, Mm -hmm. someone to show us what's really behind the curtain because they weren't ready for it. Like you're saying, they were stuck in this poverty, slavery mentality. They've completely lost what the true God really looks like. And so there's this divine accommodation, this meeting them where they're at, trying to show them. And they needed the, the law to show them. They needed the system. That's what they knew. Yeah. And when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you know, you say don't commit adultery, I tell you, you've committed lust, you've committed adultery. And the list goes on of all the sins, right? And here's the cool thing about that when you really look at it. No one, mostly, pretty much no one, some people might have, but for the most part, no one's really ever committed adultery and then lusted afterwards. The lust comes first, and then you adulter. No one's hated their brother after they murdered them. They hated them first. No one's stole something and then coveted what they stole. And so... This reworking of what was the purpose of the law, what was the purpose of all these rules that came about, the purpose wasn't that God wanted us to have a rule book. Yeah. If we land on a rule book, you might as well give up because you'll never complete the rules. You'll never fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. What was really done with the law was it was actually pointing to, this is who you really are. You don't do these things because you belong to me, you look like me. And so we talk about this heart in people, pointing out to the desires of hearts and how the morality is written on it. Even Ezekiel would write about how that God was going to take these hearts of stone and breathe his spirit and make it alive again. And so God's actually resuscitating what was in us. He's actually bringing us back to original intent by Jesus. And that's the really beautiful thing about it is it's in you. Yeah. And he's resuscitated it. He's returned it. He's giving it back. And if we could begin to not put distance between us and God by way of rules or by way of trying to get things right, but more so saying, who has he made me to be? Oh, I realize what he really looks like. It's beginning to discover what he really looks like. Yeah, it's all really good. It's just so crazy to imagine, like, we're made in his image. 
and so just by default it's like have the mind of christ heart of christ um and as we start to walk closer to the spirit and start to uncover like more and more the character of god we start to look even more like him which is originally how we were supposed to be like just getting back to how we were originally created rather than like straying away from him yeah it's really beautiful man you there's a progression there's a meeting where you're at and there's a journey and there's an element of god calling you towards him which kind of gets us to this next element of what role does faith play in discovering God? If we know that we can look at our innermost being and say, there's something there, there's something drawing me towards him, there's um, this element of him there in me that when I begin to look at it, I begin to see him. You say, how does faith play into that? We know that faith is a major element. Yeah. And so uh, there's lots of definitions for faith. There's lots of ways to look at it. I think probably the best way to understand it from my journey and what I've seen of God is faith in one definition and one translation is actually going to be the persuasion or convincing of God. And so faith isn't something you muster up. Once again, it's not really about what you do. Faith is actually God reaching into your life and pulling you towards him by convincing you of his goodness. Mm. And as he does that, that's a way of faithfulness. And you begin to believe you're not just being convinced now you are convinced you believe yeah and that's going to pull you towards him yeah it's a really good description of faith and it really just takes the weight off of you because it's like i can keep trying and striving but no matter what i do it's like that doesn't really equate to anything for god um it kind of just goes back to like his love like he freely gives it so it's like i can try and earn it i can sit here and do so many different things um i could try and live by the law um but at the end of the day like we can't earn his love like we can't earn something that he's already given to us and yeah it's the whole purpose of it is it's a gift and so by that it's like our faith is what really pushes us forward, but I like the way that you described it as like it's a persuasion, and eventually it's like you just kind of go with it. It's not even a convincing anymore. It's just like, oh, there's no other way but this. And what would you say is a way that that's happened for you? How has God convinced you of his goodness? I think for me, um, it's just been continuous, like, fulfillment of the promises that he's made me. Um, whether it be, like, spiritually, financially, heart posture, like, all the prayers that I've ever prayed have been answered. Um, they don't look like what I thought they would, but because I had faith in what God was doing, and because I have, like, evidence in what he has done, like, God and I have a history. And so it's like, okay, God, you've done all these things in the past. I know that you're going to do it again because that like, is how good you are. I have faith that you're going to do it again. You'd probably say that he's proven himself and proven himself and proven himself. And as he's shown you what he's really like, how good he is, he's built on it and added even a greater measure of his goodness over it. That you've actually almost been prepped in a way or you've been able you've gained the ability 
to now even expand your horizon about how good God really is. Yeah, and even in moments that like I was so stuck and convinced that I didn't deserve any of it from him, he still showed up in a way that made sense to me. And it doesn't always make sense to me. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, you haven't answered that yet. And he's like, okay, well, I'm kind of just waiting on you to finish something before, or I've already done it. You just haven't like realized that it's already been done. And so it's always just really cool. Like moving through, um, it's like chapters, like story after story. Um, and realizing like, Oh, this is where he kept his promise here. This is where he kept his promise here. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, I actually wasn't like undeserving or like, stuck in shame it was like i just hadn't realized what was given to me yet that's the the crux of, of humanity's challenge of <laughs> yeah. faith you know there's uh this element of why do we take sometimes a slow journey or a slow pace and then it speeds up and then god does a lot and he doesn't mm-hmm. do a lot and where does our faith expand and meet him and I sometimes we we lean on this idea that maybe God's testing me, and I, I don't think that's usually it. And sometimes yeah. God's making things hard for me so that I have to look at Him. And sometimes that may be somewhat true, but what I really think it is is that we've actually not allowed God to convince us of how good He is at times. Yeah, like we we fall on this folly. There's a, a spirit of Christianity that says you just didn't have enough faith. Like, you didn't believe enough for God, and that's why he didn't do That's why he didn't bring you through. And I want to say, first of all, that there should be an absolute rebuke to that, because now it's how much you do. Yeah. And once again, like, faith isn't something you do. It's God convincing you. It's God showing up. He's pulling you towards him. There's this actual connection aspect. It's a partnership aspect. And so when stuff doesn't happen, it's not because we didn't have enough faith, but because we actually had to lean on our self-reliance for a minute sometimes and so it's it's this almost god's convinced me enough so let me stay right here for a second and then we just have to look up and go oh my gosh like he's even better than that and so it's like god's convinced us he's good but there's still more goodness yeah and so if we would allow him with our hands wide open go hey god can you show me how good you really are i think he wants to do it Oh, absolutely. And oftentimes that's what it takes. It's like, okay, God, I've tried it my way. I think I'm done. Uh, let's do it your way. Like a full surrender of circumstances or whatever it may be. It's like, okay, God, I'm done trying to make it happen through my will, but I want to see your will be done. Um, so yeah, just lead me in that and show me like where we can partner together and make this thing happen. Absolutely. And so we look at Moses' life and how, you know, he leads the Israelites out of slavery and they kind of get stuck in this mind, this systematic mindset. Mm-hmm. And they need the law to show them what God is like and, and how to live with him. And so it's a schoolmaster, a guardian, a temporary way of showing them and teaching them. And we go back generations, 400 years or so, to Abraham, and he's the father of the faith, right? He's this idea of talking about faith and being pulled towards God and discovering him, yeah. and his goodness. He's going to sacrifice his own son. He's going to sacrifice his own son. Well, go back a little bit before that, though, and see Abraham actually lacked faith for a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's coming from a culture that had 
gods made of silver and gold of items actually made in, in the image of man like imagine god made humans in the image of god at this point in history humans are making gods in the image of man they've actually uh, contorted and misused that image to now bring it back to themselves yeah and so abraham's living in this world he doesn't know what god truly looks like anymore because they've made god look like everything else and as god gives a promise of a son and it doesn't happen for a little bit and it doesn't seem like it's gonna happen abraham does something that we have all probably dipped our hand into and it's he tried to do it himself he tries to have his own son he does he makes a son out of his own self-effort but that wasn't the son that god promised that wasn't the son of faith and so you end up with two sons now one of the faith and one um, that was of the slave woman one that was not the legitimate heir and so what does paul say about this paul says uh hundreds and hundreds of years later looking back on this that actually that slave person, the, the illegitimate child, actually represents the law. The, the thing that Moses would make 400 years later is actually represented by self-effort. Yeah. And so this is what is said about that, about this self-effort, this working by the law, this doing is that you actually have to cast it out. We know that Abraham had to tell Hagar and Ishmael to leave the camp, and that's because they can never be full inheritors of the promise of faith because it was done out of self-effort. Meanwhile, Isaac and Sarah and his family, they move forward into the journey of God showing us what he's really like. And so we know that faith uh, would allow us to actually see what God's really like if we would stop trying to do our self-effort. Which is crazy to me because God promised Abraham something. He said, you're going to have a child with Sarah. And then they're like, okay, Sarah's barren. This thing isn't happening. I'm going to go and do it myself. Met Hagar. Well, you know. And um, yeah, out of his own effort, like, produced a son, a firstborn. But that wasn't, like, in God's plan, like you said. And so I think it's incredible how, like, Abraham messed up. Like, we can all see that and say, okay, he should have obeyed God. Like, he should have waited for God's promise to come true. Even though he disobeyed the Lord, he still made it happen. He still like reconciled everything back and gave him his promised son and heir to the kingdom at that point. Or I guess they didn't know it at that point, but like that's what it was headed towards. Mm. So even in Abraham's shame and mishaps and mess ups, it like it's still completely God made something good out of it. He yeah, still yeah. made it like in his favor, the original plan, like what was the worship together. To yeah, exactly. So that's just a testament to the Lord's character of like, even if we try and mess it up, he'll still make it happen. Right. He's, he's working together for our good. Yeah. And that's another element of, we're looking at the history of things, right, to discover what God is really like. And we look into our own hearts and how he's made us. And we can even look at how short I've fallen and yet he's still there. Yeah. Completing what he started in me. So we've looked at... Uh, Moses, we looked at Abraham. If we can go back to the very beginning, back to Adam. We know that there's a truth about God that is discovered by morality, by what's written in our heart and our desires. We know that we have oftentimes stopped short of that because of self-effort, mm-hmm. and that we could actually receive it fully by just letting our hands open and not doing self-effort. 
But then the question is, how do we recover what Adam lost? Here's the beautiful thing about this. Just as the self-effort talk about not having to do it on our own, it's already been done. Yeah. Jesus has already given back Adam forfeited. Yeah. You see, Adam gave up life, essentially. He thought he could find it elsewhere. He was deceived. He thought perhaps that God was withholding from him. Usually the central lie that leads us to sin is that God's withholding. Yeah. And the really incredible thing is Jesus gave back what Adam forfeited by giving. So he thinks that God's withholding what he already gave, and God gives it again. Yeah, freely gives. Freely <laughs> gives it. So the, the gift is meant to be given. Yeah. It's not withheld. It's not... Uh, bound to to mistake it's given to be given it's life and access to god and so here's what i think is incredible about the story of adam and, and eve is after eating the fruit and all that mess happens and adam's hiding and god calls out where are you and adam comes out and he says i was hiding because i was afraid because i was naked essentially and probably the other way around would be i was afraid because i was naked so i hid but god says where are you and i think it's important to pay attention to to this when god asks a question because we know god knows the answer mm-hmm. it's kind of like when the one with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment he already knows who touched it and he says who touched my garment yeah and they say jesus everyone's around you but he knows who did already, but he's asked because there's an um, element of faith involved of, of who, who are you really? And so when he says, where are you? I, I think that is a bit for Adam's sake to like pull him out, but it's not just location. It's also identity. Like, where's the real you? You're hiding him. The one that I walked with in the cool of the day, the one that I gave full access to me, the one that I gave full dominion over the earth, the one that I gave this responsibility, this power, and my image in, where is the real you? Yeah. Because this isn't you. So that's the question I think that, that God puts over us is because he's already given back what Adam lost. We live a poverty mindset that says we have to go recover this image of God. We have to go do and become and do all these things. But the fact of the matter is God's already recovered it. He's already given us the new heart. He's already restored identity. And so when we think that we have to go do, do, do to become, what we're actually doing is hiding behind that. We're actually selling ourselves short on what Jesus did, that he gave back full identity and full access. And so when the question is asked, where are you? We can simply say, I'm right here. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, like God wasn't angry in that at all. Oftentimes you read that and it's like, oh, where are you? Like, I need to find you. It's more so like, hey, where are you? Like, I'm looking for you. I care about you. Um, and I think, too, like, as a society, one of the main things that's been pushed for us is, like, nothing is free. Everything has a catch to it. There's always some sort of, like, price that we have to pay. But with God, he's already freely given it to us. 
So I think the prime issue is we don't know how to receive anymore. And I think the art of receiving has been lost for so many years that as generation keeps going, it's like it gets watered down more and more and more to where we end up now. And it's like, man, I have no idea how to receive. I don't even know what receiving looks like. I'm trying to strive for something. I'm trying to work for something. I'm trying to work something off. But it's like, no, God is just trying to give us a gift. Like if we would just hold out our hands and accept it from him, it'd be so much easier than trying to fight him on it. Like, no, God, I don't want that. Like, I don't want you to give me something for free. Like, I want to be able to do something for you. But he's like, no, let me give you something. Like, let me give you this gift. Just sit there and receive. Here's the reason why I think that is. We can't receive because we don't trust that God's going to give. Yeah, that's true. Like, would you put yourself vulnerable to where instead of going to make sure you get it, to make sure you acquire, which to be fair, you never fully acquire what you're going after, but to make sure that you can't acquire by yourself ever because surely I can do it myself. Yeah. We'll do that rather than have our hands open and waiting because. To wait would say, I might miss out. I might miss out if I don't go do it. Yeah. When in reality, everything's waiting for you in the position you're in. And so we don't know how to receive because we're afraid. Mm-hmm. We're afraid God's not good. And that's because we don't know what he really looks like. And we don't know what he really looks like because we haven't gone on the discovery of what he really looks like. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So really good. <laughs> so here's kind of where we're at there's two humanities the adam humanity and the jesus humanity we begin with a new one in jesus as we look at the core of our being and the humanity of jesus we find that his spirit is there mm-hmm. that at the core of who we are god is there not that we are god but that he's actually chosen to make a union with us to make connection permanent, and to no longer allow us to believe distance. And in faith, in his convincing us of who he is, he's showing us his image in us, what he made us to really be like. And we, on the other hand, on the Adam image, there is a hard heart, a heart of stone that's become that way because of sin, because of futility of thinking, because of not understanding the goodness of God. And as you begin to believe, be drawn in by faith, he actually gives you that new heart that's soft, that understands that God's good and tender and ready to love us. And so we don't need to do and make our own and acquire, but rather we can allow God to craft us, to allow it to be truth that we are God's handiwork that we don't have to be a couple of pieces of rubble found millennia later and people are to make something of it but rather we're alive and whole and full what adam forfeited jesus returned yeah he has returned us to the full image he's made it available for us to have any final thoughts god is good (laughs) (laughs) yeah and yeah he truly does take everything that was forsaken or unfulfilled and restores it completely. I mean, there's so many instances of that all throughout the Bible of like a number of these people were like turned away and then 
later, that exact same number of people that were turned away were like made new through Holy Spirit and like just his love. And so it's really cool. Like every promise that he makes, every like word that he says, he fulfills. He's good. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So what did we go over today? We went over. Firstly, how do we uncover the truth of God? There's so many ways to go discover and realize it, but really at the end of the day, it's going to be to look at the existence and just begin to wonder where he's at in it. What did he do? Look at what he made, ask how it got there, and begin to realize what he's doing currently in us. It's how we begin to uncover the truth of God. And then what role does faith play in that? We have to allow God to, to bring us in, to pull us closer begin to convince us and show us and reveal. Before we're even certain of his goodness, we allow him to show us his goodness. Yeah. And that becomes belief. And then how do we recover what Adam lost? The wonderful answer is we don't have to. Jesus has already given it back. It means there's no more doing. There's no more burden of the law. We can actually cast Ishmael out the camp. That the rightful son of faith, Isaac, lives. That we're actually the inheritors of the promise of faith. Yeah. And so as we rest in faith, as we rest in what Jesus has done, we begin to receive the truth of what he really looks like. And as we do that, we discover God for what he really is and the splendid goodness that he really has for us. Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Remember to go check out our Instagram. It's going to be beyondtheveil underscore podcast. That's beyondtheveil underscore podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating to help us get this content out to more people, add more value to people, share with a friend if it meant something to you, and be back next week. Yeah, see you, everybody. Bye.